Now, the current solutions are essentially providing an understanding, which is a high level overall understanding over what happened in a in a large uh, geographical area, while what we provide is this hyper-localized understanding of what happened in the what is happening on the on the micro right, on the localized. So just by, by reducing this perspective of the carrier, we're essentially providing them a lens uh, which is magnifying the way that they can assess risk by 100 x which is massive. Welcome to our series entitled The IM Podcast, a podcast about innovation, business, and most importantly, people. In this series, we'll be talking to founders, executives, and various experts about their vision, challenges, best practices, and lessons learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the I Am Podcast. I am Mariah, your host, and today with me is the CEO and co-founder at Urbanico, Yuval Shafrir. Yuval, how are you doing? I'm doing perfect, mate. Thanks for having us and having me. Thank you for your time and welcome to the show, Yuval. So, what I'd love you to introduce yourself. Like, give us a brief background of your career, your expertise, your experience. Who is Yuval? So, first, Yuval is a 32 years old, married to my awesome wife, Dal, and a newly father to a four month year old baby called Raz. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, in my background, so like most of the, of the folks in, in our industry, I serve uh, in an elite intelligence unit uh, under the, the guidance of um, the Israeli prime minister's office as a product manager. So gained a lot of experience on how to develop product from my military service. And then went to travel for quite a while, came back to Israel, I studied physics and chemistry, but actually never practiced work as a scientist other than, you know, the university love. And after I realized that scientific research is not not my cup of tea, at least I went outside, I was working for quite a while in a consultancy firm in Tel Aviv. And then joined a, a retail tech startup as a hired CEO, a company called Tengif, in which I studied and learned a lot about the process of building a company, building a product, building a, a tech-oriented, a, a, I would call it tech-oriented product, and to solve a, a real-world problem. Okay, so then Urbanico. So would love to hear how did this idea come about? Why did you decide to start this from zero to one? So actually, it's a great question, right? So one of my best friends is a founder of a company that works in the real estate domain, a prop tech type company. And during my work in, in my previous company, you know, we were always kind of talking to each other and it, you know, telling uh, telling each other about all the difficult things that we're, that we're going through. And he was always talking about how difficult it is to get access to data that is essentially belong to, to all of us, right? Data that is being collected by the local government, which we are uh, 
the, the investors or, or the funding source for the local governments. And essentially this data belongs to all of us, but there is a huge, huge problem around um, the ability to utilize both from an acquisition, data acquisition perspective, but even more, more so from a standardization perspective. So every local government has its own standard. And when you're looking to work with, with local government's data, you're essentially looking at this wide zoo of data points and data elements that looks, behave, and act completely different, even, even though that they're talking about the exact same type of objects. Um, and this, this issue, this problem, this vision of taking a, a, this huge data asset that has lots and lots of advantages and utilize it for the benefit of building new products and services for essentially for all of us, the residents that lives within this is, it was something that was that still is obviously really resonates with with my personal passion. So I decided to jump right in, and you know, after a few conversations with quite a few industry leaders, and pretty much identified that there is a huge problem, both a technical and and business oriented problem, that that I believe it needs to be solved. Okay. Yes. You spoke about the problem that you tried to solve. So where did you apply this first? I mean, this kind of solution. So, so I think maybe even before that, I think that the, the vision or the, the Northern Star that we're aiming to achieve or that we're aiming to get in Urbanico is essentially building a coherent data representation of urban landscape, right? So having the ability to describe every geographical cell in every city around the world or in every metro area around the world using data or using a, a specific vector. Now, given the fact that local governments or that cities are essentially touching, I would say, almost every aspect of living uh, within our lives, right, as people that, that reside within these areas. So obviously, as, as you briefly stated, it can be utilized uh, in many different industries um, and domains. And the first thing that we've done uh, in Urbanico was actually going out there and, and talking to many different industry experts to see where is this, where the value of our data or the local government's data is the biggest and the most significant. Um, and after a few rounds with, with quite a few different industry and leaders, uh, we've identified that the best or, or the best utilization method for this data is actually in insurance. And the problem is as follows, right? So insurance is an industry that has always maintained the value chain that significantly relies on people. And given the fact that data is such a, a critical and fundamental component within, within this business model called insurance, it is essentially touching almost every different insurance product that you can think of, right? So whether it is homeowner's insurance product, auto insurance product, commercial insurance product, or any other type of product, it is highly um, bound to the data that it's relying on. And the current problem is that insurance carriers are still providing their risk assessment based on a very, very high level perspective of the insured entity. 
Um, and given the fact that, you know, through our data, we are actually able to provide much more personalized coverage, coverage that is touching the specific risk of Yuval or of May or of whatever type of, of entity out there. Um, it has a huge, huge, huge potential first for reducing the prices that we're all paying for insurance premiums. And, and on the other side, right, on the flip side, provide better insurance products that are more profitable and that touch the problem, touch the, the risk that every entity have in, in a very granular fashion. And so what we're doing, if we want to kind of distill it, is we're providing a hyper-localized a data to insurance carriers that allows them to underwrite and price insurance products in a very, very personalized and granular fashion. Okay, yes, hyper-localized, much more personalized data that can impact exactly. insurance, the insurance industry. So could you walk us through, like give us an example, like a concrete example of how you solve problems? Of course, of course. So the, the most immediate one is actually bound to the first product that, we're, uh, that we've launched uh, recently, which is a crime prediction. So currently, the way that um, you know, the most advanced insurance carrier in the world assess crime-oriented risk is based on the zip code of the insurance entity meaning that Uvali is going to, to State Farm or to Liberty Mutual or to any of those large insurance carriers, they would ask me, like when I'm coming to them saying, look, I want to buy a, an insurance coverage for my business, let's say, for they would ask me, all right, so what's the address of your business? And then based on the zip code component, they would rate me for whatever, right? Eight out of 10, which correlates to whatever a multiply factor uh, that is multiplying my premium. Now, the problem of that is that zip codes is a mostly static geographical segmentation that was set up by USPS in the 60s of the last century in order to optimize mail routes. And so when you're looking at the underlying data, it's super easy to see that any correlation between a crime patterns and zip code is at best coincidental. And so instead of averaging out the risk across a wide geographical area like zip code, Urbanico takes into account the crimes that are truly relevant to a specific entity based on its fundamental characteristics and exact geographical location. And just by reducing the granularity level from a zip code to a census block, what we're providing at Urbanico, um, a carrier is actually having 150x improvement from a personalization standpoint in its way to assess risk on, on the entity. Okay, so when you talk about risk, so you're talking about, you, you mentioned about crime, right? Flood, fire, I saw this on your website. So mm -hmm. at, what are the challenges? Like how accurate... Um, I mean, the existing solutions, how different are you, you know, when it comes to that? So, so it's a great question as well, right? So given the fact that urban data is, as I mentioned, touching many different aspects of living, it actually predicts many different areas that are super relevant for a insurance industry or I would say for 
largely speaking, for almost every piece of insurance product. Those type of perils are mostly crime, fire, water. And when we're talking about auto, then obviously car accidents as well. Now, the current solutions are essentially providing an understanding, which is a high level overall understanding over what happened in a, in a large um, geographical area, while what we provide is this hyper-localized understanding of what happened in the, what is happening on the, on the micro right, on the localized. So just by, by reducing this perspective of the carrier, we're essentially providing them a lens uh, which is magnifying the way that they can assess risk by 100 to 200x, which is massive. Now, the challenges of that is always, uh, is always big, right? It's always big to do something which is kind of uh, disrupting the industry, but always, um, I, think, I think it's even, even more difficult when we're talking about this large traditional industry like, like insurance. Um, and so there's, tons and tons of problems along the way from the, the coverage of the data, right? So how, how big uh, is our data assets or how big are the data assets that we have in terms of the coverage of, of the given insurance group of business, right? So whether we can cover 50, 60, 70, or 80% of, of the policies that are being sold in, by this specific carrier. This is a, a very big problem of any company that is providing risk assessment for, a, for the insurance the coverage. In another, in another point, uh, there's always this um, technological gap, which is a very, very difficult uh, uh, issue that we have around a, how do we build or how do we let the machine build this coherent, a representation of the urban landscape. And it comes in, in a few different perspectives, right? So first, given the fact that urban data is a very, very much textual creature, right? So most of the data is text and text that is being written as a natural language of the, of the clerks of the local government, then we're seeing this huge variance in terms of uh, the way that different clerks or different local governments are describing the exact same type of objects, right? So if you look at the way that the city of New York is describing its uh, construction permits, that's one creature in the data space, which is inherently different than how construction permits are being described by the city of LA, the city of San Francisco, the city of Dallas, Houston, Chicago, wherever. And so having the ability to take all this data into a machine and at the end get the outcome says this is this this is the way that a construction permit needs to be described and these are all the micro interactions that are happening between this, this object called the construction permit to all the different other objects is is a very big technological mission okay and how are you overcoming these challenges so this um, this is a very good question as well, right? So given the fact that most of the data is textual, then um, the main tool in our toolbox are algorithms that are coming from the realm of NLP, right? So natural language processing. The type of algorithms that are, uh, that are mainly used by our platform is a family of algorithms called 
contextual word embedding that are essentially allowing us to take any text and represent it as a vector in, in a vectorial space, right? By understanding and by taking all this textual component into a vector, we are essentially building a, a representation of any attribute in any given table. And then what we're doing is we're essentially inserting it into a similar learning neural network that allows us to do two things, which are kind of the, the solve the problem, the problems that I've uh, briefly mentioned before. So A, compare apples to apples, making sure that a construction firm is being represented exactly uh, the same, whether it comes from LA, New York, Chicago, Houston, Dallas, Brad. This is A and B, is the ability to understand all the different correlations, all the different interactions with this creature Old construction permit is actually relevant to. And I give you an example from, from the crime book, right? So the, the platform that we've built identified that there is a, a big a correlation between the fact that a given street has 24-7 operating streetlights in it to the probability of a crime to happen in this given street. Now, it, seem, it may seem very logical to understand it, but there are countless, countless other micro-interactions that are naturally happening between the different objects that live within our city, right? So what's the impact of the fact that there is a very old tree that has deep roots on the probability for a water leakage in all the buildings that are surrounding this tree? Or what's the impact of the fact that a given business has a permit to work with open fire on the probability for a structural fire event in, in its uh, close proximity. So there are hundreds and hundreds of, of different examples for those micro interactions that are actually fueling our ability to learn from all the different objects that live within this uh, domain uh, in order to predict uh, the different type of incidents that are impacting insurance or, or any given insurance product. Yes. Yeah, so a lot of micro interactions, like it sounds complicated, like the process is who's the perfect fit for your company? I mean, who do you work with? What kind of engineers or what specialties or expertise are you looking for? So apart from most of our industry, that is, I would say, mainly centered around the around Tel Aviv and, and the central area of of Israel, we have actually took a, a different approach. So our company is based out of Jerusalem. Our investors are here. And actually one of the, one of the main advantages that we saw here in Jerusalem is the fact that there is this huge pool of talent of you know, the smartest people in the country that are studying in, in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem which is, um, I think, the oldest university in the country, and one of the, one of the best ones. And so uh, the whole strategy around building our team is actually getting um, talent that is coming out of the university. So engineers that are coming out of the university, some of them you know, as, as, a first, uh, as a first hiring, some of them after a, you know, a year or two of experience working system and essentially growing them within our company, right? So T 
teaching them and and getting them uh, becoming the, the best engineers uh, possible. So we're looking for talented people, obviously, that as we like to phrase it, uh, want to come and, and take over the world with them. Not in a in a you know kind of glorifying way, but uh, we're looking for people that are coming. Uh, with no fear and, and you know that wants to learn and try and make mistakes and, and learn uh, while doing because we believe that it is one of the greatest events we have as a startup that we can you know um, build quick and and, and and burn things so but there are challenges that comes along with hiring training right so can you give us a story of course, of course. So there's always this debate, uh, I think, especially within uh, startups around uh, what's the best hiring strategy, right? So whether you want to take uh, senior developers that are coming, you know, already baked, right? Uh-huh. So coming with their knowledge and experience, and, you know, can deliver value from day one, but it comes with a lot of... Um, a lot of challenges on, first of all, obviously the, the resources, and, but even more important, at least for us, is the culture of the company, right? When, you, when you're hiring a person that is coming with quite experience or quite a few different companies, it's very difficult to kind of, um, I would say, adopt them into the type of culture that you have as a company. Um, and this is a very challenging, especially when, when growing and, and scaling up uh, with, with regards to, to human resources. And so what we've done is that, you know, we've essentially kind of looked at, uh, at a few success stories that are coming actually out of the Jerusalem ecosystem, right? So how did Mobileye have group and how did they hire? What were they, their uh, human resource strategy? What happened at Lightrate? What happened at Orcom? Those, those big success stories that are coming out of Jerusalem. And what we saw is that there's this, um, there's this line that's, that, that's connecting between all of them, which is bringing people that are fresh, that are coming with fresh mindset, that are eager to learn and, and, and to, you know, to develop their own, their own career and their own path and kind of grow them uh, throughout your company. So we have quite a few interesting stories here. I mean, we're still pretty small, and, but we have quite a few interesting stories here that you know came to us with zero experience and are now managing pipelines that are, I don't know, in the level of complexity of, of 10 years of work. How many people are there in your team now? So we are six people, right? We're still pretty young. And we have four uh, tech people, so four engineers, Johnny, my CEO, with additional three uh, data engineers, uh, as well as myself and Kyle, which is our VP of insurance. Okay. So, yes, you said you're fresh, small, but you're in a like, funding round, in the middle of a funding round, you said. So, how do you plan? to use that or what's the plan ahead for yeah Michael? so so yes yeah, so we are now finalizing uh, another funding round which i hope 
will be able to uh, bring out to the press uh, very soon. It's a very exciting round that is going to be led by a strategic investor that is coming from the insurance industry with deep domain expertise in the US. And so we are very, very excited about the, the road ahead. And in terms of growing, so the essentially the, the use of this fund will be a mainly a direct into seizing the opportunity that we're, uh, that we're seeing. And you know, for every startup, there's a, there's a quote saying, you know, if you build uh, something and, uh, and you've got no negative feedback on it, then you probably released it uh, too late. Right, so there's a there's this always the, the notion that you know we have to bring demand to our type of service, to our type of product, and and then create the supply, so building the product. So it's the best practice, you know, to get and onboard a, as as many customers as possible, even even as as a validation for a writing this code. But when it happens when you have your demand uh, exceeding your supply or your ability to supply, then it becomes a, a pretty pretty scary situation that doesn't help any of us to sleep at night. And so, you know, we're working with this huge, huge, huge corporations with huge sales cycle, very long sales cycle, and that we've spent a lot of resources to get to. And now we have a huge pipeline that is essentially overcoming our ability. And so what we're uh, doing with this funding round is essentially going to market faster, growing our team, both on the business and uh, technological and R&D perspective. So we expect to uh, grow to over 20 people over the next uh, year. And part of the team here in Israel, so the R&D will stay here in Israel. Okay. So just a quick one. So you said you're an entrepreneur, you're passionate about um, building the product from the ground up. So what does it take to, like, can you give us three things? What does it take to build a product that really works in scale? So I think that the most important thing, which is something that, you know, the industry is talking about for, for quite a while, but it's very easy to kind of, you know, kind of lie to yourself around the, the ability to get a, as close as you can to product market fit a, as fast as possible and to get as much validation as early on. So I'm a very, very big believer in the ability a, or, or the need to go out and sell your product even before you have one life. Right? So just the ability to get this true feedback is something that was super duper critical for us in the way that we've designed the product, right? Just as an example, right? we've started in a model that is a data as a service model, which is essentially selling data, and then went directly to carriers and asked them, all right, how do you use this data? What are you, a, what do you want to do with this? How do you plan to use this data? How much are you willing to pay for this data? And then they told us something that knocked us off our, off our feet completely. They said, listen, we have so much data internally that we don't know how to use that we don't need additional data sources. What we need is coherent risk analysis, right? We need insights. And as, as good as we are with data, um, it's not what we're looking for. 
And so the ability to shift the product from just selling the data as is into building this, this coherent data representation as, I don't know, if, if you want to call it a, a digital queen of the urban risk, is something that a, we couldn't have done if we wouldn't have talked to carriers a very, very early. So we could have done it, but it might have been too late in terms of you know, the resources and the lines. And so the ability to go as fast as possible to your clients, your target market, is, is a very critical component that, that I believe is something that, that every one of us should uh, take very, very seriously. Oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing those. Okay, if they want to reach out to you, ask you more about that, uh, your product and how they can, you can solve their problems, where can they go? How can they connect with you? First of all, um, I'm always available on my, uh, on my email, which is yuval at urbanico.io. So simple as easy as you can get. Um, I encourage everyone to go and visit our website. There's a, a request demo button that obviously uh, directs you uh, into, into the, the demo and to our services. Um, I'm always available through LinkedIn and all the social media platforms. And I'd love to get in touch with, with everyone that's interested. Yes. Hey, everyone. So please connect with Yuval. Thank you very much for your time on the show, Yuval. All the best to Urbanico. Thank you so much, mate. It's been a pleasure. This podcast is powered by iamops.io. Optimize your cloud infrastructure and CICT process with iamops.io dedicated DevOps team. Check out www.imops.io and get a DevOps team now. Make sure to check out www.imops.io if you want to know more about us. Subscribe to our podcast so you can get notified every time we post a new video. Thank you and you have a great day.